Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. What is up, fight fans? Another edition of Inside Boxing Live is in your life. I am your host, Dan Canobio, and we have a jam-packed show for you today. The world of boxing heating up as we enter into the summer months. Got a big show. Joining us today, Mike Coppinger, uh, the insider for Fox Sports. He'll talk about some of the biggest fights upcoming on the schedule. And also, Ross Greenberg will join the program. Of course, Ross Greenberg, former HBO Sports president. He will talk about uh, the life of Harold Letterman, who passed away over the weekend. We're coming to you with heavy hearts here today on Inside Boxing Live. CompuBox was part of HBO for uh, almost its uh, entirety. Back, started in 1985. Harold Letterman was on the scene in uh, 1986, he succumbed finally to uh, cancer. He had a long battle uh, with that. And, uh, you know, this one hits home for us here at CompuBox because in Inside Boxing Live, so we got to know Harold. We got to know Harold at the HBO uh, Sports dinners. Uh, we got to know Harold uh, being ringside as a kid when my dad would bring me to work with him. And getting to talk to, you know, George Foreman and Michael Buffer and Jim Lampley and, and Larry Merchant. And then Harold Reynolds, uh, Harold Reynolds, Harold Letterman would be there. And, you, you know, he was exactly how he was on, on camera and his uh, epic uh, unofficial scorecards. That's how he was uh, in person. He loved boxing. You go on Twitter and you see the outpouring of love and you hear everyone say that Harold Letterman loved boxing. Harold Letterman was the nicest guy in the world. It's all true. Believe me, Harold Letterman was a great man. And I'm really looking forward to talking uh, to Ross Greenberg to hear some stories about how this role came about. Uh, because in 1986, up until uh, 1986, there was no unofficial score uh, in boxing telecast. It's one of the many innovations by uh, Ross Greenberg. So we'll talk to him. We'll hear about Harold uh, Letterman, and we'll we'll talk a little about Harold uh, throughout the show. Uh, it's going to be a great one. But there's a lot of things uh, going on in boxing this past weekend. It was huge. I mean, some great fights back to back to back uh, on Fox. And on uh, ESPN, we also have uh, Deontay Wilder, Dominic Brazil coming up this weekend. We're going to do a little in, uh, by the numbers with that coming up first. But let's talk first about uh, what I thought was the best fight of the, of the weekend, and that was uh, Hurd versus Williams. Uh, obviously, uh, Julian Williams, J-Rock, picks up two titles in this, an upset win for him. You know, I said this in the preview for Fox, uh, that I did for Fox. If Williams wanted to win this fight, he was going to have to fight out of character and throw his hands more and land more punches. He came into this fight uh, throwing only 47 punches around. And as we know about uh, Hurd is that he's a slow starter. So in order for, for J-Rock to win this fight, he was going to have to pounce on Hurd early on. That's exactly what he did. If you take a look at the first two rounds, uh, Williams outlanded Hurd 29-13 to 13 in power shots. So he did come out. And he pounced. He saw an opening, and he took it. You have to respect that. Take a look at the punch stats over the first four rounds. 75 to 46 edge for J-Rock. He looked at the uh, the tape. He saw what everyone else saw, that Jared Hurd is a slow starter. Uh, Jared Hurd looked a little distracted, maybe fighting at home for the first time as a world champion. Brings a lot of distractions. He came into his body language was off. And J-Rock all week long, if, you t- if you're watching some of the Fox uh, programming, was very calm, was kind of had this chip on his shoulder that, you know, no one was giving him a chance. Seven to one underdog, some some books had him as. He came in there and he executed the game plan perfectly. I thought uh, the fight was was fought on the inside very often. And 
you can just see the hand speed difference for J-Rock. I thought he had a hand speed edge. I thought he had a power edge. Everyone thought that Hurd was the bigger power puncher. You know, Ray Mancini, you got to credit him. I was watching one of the, the Fox shows, and Mancini said, hey, listen, you know, Williams has a really good right hand. He's a strong fighter. Don't just say that he doesn't uh, have the power edge there. And he absolutely did. Uh, 237 punches was landed on Jared Hurd for, for Julian Williams. That is the most punches landed on a Hurd opponent in 11 fights tracked by CompuBox. So there, you see it right there. Uh, Williams was able uh, to pounce early, held him off late, because if you take a look at rounds 5 and 6, when Hurd usually starts to wake up, he did. He landed 63 punches in those two rounds. He had his moments too, uh, Jared Hurd, but were not enough. As Julian Williams now sits, has two belts. Great story in boxing. He joins, you know, Andrew Cancio, uh, and he joins Tony Harrison uh, as 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 upset winners in in 2019. We saw those two fights earlier uh, in the year, or actually wasn't this year though, because Tony Harrison technically beat Charlo at the end of December. But whatever. Uh, the upset winners. We're seeing a little more uh, in the sport of boxing. Take a look at the 154 pound division right now. It's a great, it's a great division. I mean, a lot of these fighters have losses. I mean, the the PBC plan was for Hurd to fight Charlo. I mean, that is completely off the rails because right now Charlo's facing Harrison in a rematch. Uh, Tony Harrison can can win that rematch, and then you have uh, Hurd wants a rematch here with J Rock. I mean, will we? It's a kind of like a round robin. It's a great thing because. Every guy has a loss. I mean, there's nothing wrong with having a loss next to your name. We've got to get away from this Floyd Mayweather uh, line of thinking where being undefeated is everything. No, it's not the case. Look at Oscar De La Hoya. I mean, he fought everybody. Yes, he lost six times. Look at Manny Pacquiao. He fought everyone. He has seven losses. These are guys that are considered legends in the sport because they put it all out on the line. And that's what we saw on Fox on, on Saturday night. Go over. To ESPN, <laughs> I mean, seemingly right when this fight ended on Fox, you flipped over to ESPN, you've got yourself an absolute war for as long as it lasted. Uh, Miguel Burchelt wins big. Uh, he is a monster in the 135-pound division. I would love to see him and Lomachenko do uh, battle. And like to see him and Lomachenko do battle. I said 135, I meant 130 pounds, but it doesn't matter. Either weight class, Burchelt throws bombs. He averaged... 41 power shots landed around. That is absurd amount of power shots. And he threw over 100 punches around. He takes out uh, and he wins big. Uh, also on the undercard, Isaac Dogbay. Uh, man, oof, he's really got to think about uh, what he wants to do in his career. A young fighter who has taken a beating in back-to-back -back fights. He loses uh, the rematch with Navarrete. Uh, he really has got to go back to the drawing board. Huge weekend of fights. I mean, we complain all the time in boxing. You hear all the fight fans, and there's no more good fights. There's no more good nights. There's everything is, is you got to pay pay-per-view, blah, blah, blah. ESPN and Fox put together uh, one of the best nights of the, the calendar year here in uh, 2019. But moving forward, this Saturday at the Barclays Center, I will be front and center uh, counting the punches, doing my thing, Wilder, Brazil. A fight that uh, not everyone wants, but uh, listen, this is what we're going to get. When Deontay Wilder fights, it's an event. Uh, there's no doubt about that. Uh, it's going to be on Showtime. I think this is going to do big numbers. I think it's going to be a big crowd, a nice uh, you know, early summer crowd here, even though it's 45 degrees here in New York today. But it's going to be heating up in the Barclays Center. I think it's going to be a great one um, for however long it lasts. Uh, I want to go through a little by the numbers here. For uh, Deontay Wilder, Dominic Brazil, and a lot of people talk about with Deontay Wilder is what 
he does wrong and everything negative about Deontay Wilder in the ring rather than highlight what he does great inside that squared circle. And, and I poured over the numbers here, and I want to just tell you that Deontay Wilder is one of the most accurate fighters in boxing today. You know, despite his low numbers against Fury, where he landed only 17% of his total punches, Wilder ranks number two among all active fighters, landing 48.4% of his power shots. That's less than a percentage point away from Errol Spence for the number one spot in terms of power punch uh, connect percentage. So he has a great night against Dominic Brazil, which I think that he's going to. He could be number one in, in that uh, category. Believe it or not, Deontay Wilder has one of the best jabs in boxing. He lands seven jabs per round. And this is one of my favorite stats to illustrate just how good of a jabber uh, Deontay Wilder is. There's only three fighters in boxing today that land 30% or more of their jabs. It's Gennady Golovkin, it's Anthony Joshua, and it is Deontay Wilder. So this guy has an extremely good jab that's accurate. He has an extremely good uh, left hand and a right hand that is very, very accurate. Doesn't throw a lot of punches. That's one thing about Deontay Wilder that we've seen is that he kind of has a tendency to stalk out his opponents. Look what he did against uh, a Fury where he was looking for that home run shot. He only throws 35 punches around. It's about 10 below uh, the heavyweight average. But he makes those punches count. He, he When he throws punches, they have bad intentions. That's why he's must-watch television. Go over to Dominic Brazil, and he is a fighter that goes to the body well. He's going to have to depend on the body punching in this fight. He's going to have to depend on Deontay Wilder getting too emotional, as we've seen in the lead-up to this fight. They do not like each other. He literally wants to go in there and, do, and cause a lot of harm to Dominic Brazil. So maybe... He goes to the body, maybe he tries to move around more, maybe he sticks a jab in Wilder's face, but he's going to have to do a lot in there. He's going to have to hope that Wilder comes in wild and emotional and uh, try to you know maybe kind of use that to his advantage. But if you take a look at Dominic Brazil's numbers, the guy can be hit. I mean, I just illustrated about Deontay Wilder and how accurate he is with his jab and his power punches. 38% of power shots are landed on Dominic Brazil by his opponents. Not good. Nine power shots per round are landed on Dominic Brazil, and opponents land... 31% of their jabs. Everything that I just illustrated leads you to believe that I think Deontay Wilder will win this fight by KO, TKO, maybe the sixth or seventh round, but I do think it's going to be absolute fireworks because these guys do not like each other, and it goes down uh, this Saturday on Showtime. There it is. A busy weekend of fights. A uh, busy week of fights coming up. I'm going to be at the uh, at the Leeson's Gym interviewing Deontay Wilder and some of the upcoming fighters. But we got a great show for you today. we got In Case You Missed It with some interesting notes on the world of boxing. We're also going to talk to Ross Greenberg and Mike Coppinger. He comes up next here on Inside Boxing Live. Our next interview on Inside Boxing Live is brought to you by Jack Doyle's Restaurant and Bar. Jack Doyle's Restaurant and Bar located just a few steps away from Madison Square Garden and Times Square. Go into Jack Doyle's for all your entertainment needs. From happy hours to birthday parties to private events, Jack Doyle's has you covered. Once again, that's Jack Doyle's Restaurant and Bar located on 240 West 35th Street. Okay, our next guest here on Inside Boxing Live is breaking news on a daily basis. You know who I'm talking about. He's dropping cop bombs every single day on Twitter.com. I'm talking about Mike Coppinger. Joins us right now. He's the Fox uh, Sports Boxing Insider. Joins us right now from sunny California. What's going on, Mike? Hey, Dan. Thanks for having me. I like that, you know, cop bombs. I may have to trademark that. <laughs> yeah, I want to talk to you about... 
uh, breaking news in in on Twitter in the boxing world. Uh, it's one of the many things I want to talk to you about here. And I feel like this happens in every other sport. We see Woj bombs. We saw one today where he announced that John Beeline is leaving Michigan uh, to become the next head coach of the Cleveland Cavaliers. We see it in almost every sport. Every sport has this breaking news journalist. And it seems like you are now the guy for boxing. But it's also come with some like ruffling some feathers. You know, maybe whether it's promoters or whether it's it's uh, PR people. Why is there such a blowback from pe- you doing your job centrally? Yeah, Dan, there's definitely been a lot of blowback. I think it's because they're not the people that the powers that be aren't used to it. For a long time, there really hasn't been this push to break news the way I've been doing it. And um, for some reason, it's really important to promoters and PR people that they break everything in a press release. Mm-hmm. And I always tell everyone, fans don't read press releases. Fans read articles. Fans watch television. Fans follow along on social media, whether it's Twitter or Instagram. And the NBA really gets this. You know, you see guys like Woj and Shams break all these news about trades, and there's they have it so there's a conversation about NBA and the NFL pretty much through 65. And I think it's important for boxing, too, that we can talk about these fights months in advance and have all the rumors. It's fun. makes the sport more fun. makes following along more enjoyable. Yeah, I totally agree. And we saw this with Ariel Hawani a few years back with the UFC. He got into some some hot water with Dana White. For, you know, they want to control the narrative. They want to, uh, and that's a little easier in the UFC because it's just one entity. And they want to control it. And he broke some news, and he, he you know, had to face the the the, the wrath of Dana White. Have you ever had a promoter come up to you and say, you know, what the hell, what are you doing here? And, and that was my best Bob Arum impression. <laughs> yeah, it happens all the time. And I, I mean. Constantly, people are getting angry about it. You know, they, they'll lie to you and say something's not true to protect themselves. It, it, it just—it had. I mean, I, I, there's a, so many stories, and I won't go into too much detail because I can. But so many stories I've had where um, I had probably two or three sources on it, knew it was true, and I went to the principal, and they completely denied it in <laughs> an attempt to convince me it was wrong. Right. Um, but you know, with, you have to just trust your sourcing and know that you know, in the end of the day, you're right, and trust the people that. That are giving you the information. Yeah, you do see that. I see that often where you come out with a report and, uh, you know, the the person that you're talking about denies it. And then a day later, you see that it comes out. Does that give you extra validation in your reporting? Yeah, I definitely think so. I, I like that. We, we definitely saw it recently, like a few times recently, where I broke the Anthony Joshua versus Jarrell Big Diddy Miller fight. Of course, that's not happening now after Miller tested positive and was pulled from the fight after it was officially announced. But, you know, Eddie Hearn went and said that, oh, it wasn't true. And then, you know, a couple of weeks later it came out. It was true. Right. Uh, some, something similar, too, with Keith Thurman and Manny Pacquiao on July 20th. I broke that, I think, a month ago. Um, and I, I saw some other writers trying to say that I was wrong. But <laughs> lo and behold, it was announced Saturday. So there was definitely a lot of promoters trying to discredit me and – you know, I, I know the truth will come out in the end. So, yeah, it is it is extra validation for sure. Okay, let's talk about some fights. Let's talk about some things that are going on in, in the world of boxing. We saw a great one on Fox this past Saturday where uh, Julian Williams picked up uh, two belts in the 154-pound division. Great fight. Uh, now, this fight, this division, I talked about this in the opening of the show, has it's like moving now. There's a lot of moving parts now. Everyone wanted to see Hurd versus Charlo for unification. That is off the rails. Now we can potentially see Julian Williams versus Tony Harrison if Tony Harrison uh, wins the rematch. What does this fight mean that we saw on Saturday night for this division? I mean, 
it's definitely disrupting the, the division and also the best laid plans of the PBC. Uh, the plan was all along was if Charlo was supposed to beat Tony Harris in December and then Heard would beat Julian Williams and then Heard and Charlo would meet for junior middleweight supremacy in the second half of 2019, probably in December. Now, both guys suffered upsets. We have, like you said, Charlo's going to fight Harrison uh, next month on Fox in Vegas. And Jared Hurd has a rematch clause in his contract with Julian Williams. Right. So he'll have he'll head to an encore encounter as well. And I, I think if, if, I mean, I guess if Hurd loses again, then maybe it's Williams versus the winner of Ch- Charlo and Harrison. I'm not sure how it's all going to play out, but it was definitely – a big shock, and a lot of people had Jared Hurd in their pound for pound list. Maybe it was whether it was number ten, or you know he was a guy that was really emerging in boxing, and he's not finished or anything, but he was beaten pretty soundly. Yeah. Whereas I thought Charlo was robbed. Yeah, I agree with you there. I do think I was doing the punch stats for that. I thought that Charlo won that first one. I do think Julian Williams, you know, I thought he won the the fight on Saturday night. But you bring up the how it, it kind of throws a wrench into the plans for PBC. But I also think that it's it's benefiting the PBC because there's storylines here that's around Robin. There's there's four you know marketable fighters there are four fighters that can talk as we saw uh, you were at the, the charlo harrison presser we'll touch on that in a second but i feel like when there's storylines like this and there's great fights who cares what the plans are as long as you know the great fights are happening on fox or showtime it's great for pbc i agree it just is gonna yeah it's just gonna disrupt us disrupt their plans for a little bit and delay a fight that was supposed to be one of their biggest fights of the year and kurt and charlo uh, but it's interesting now. Now we have four big names at 54. And then you also can't forget, we have Arizondi Lara and Brian Castaño, mm-hmm. who fought for an exciting draw in March. Um, but Hurd and Charlo, remain, they remain the two biggest names in the division. That's the fight everyone wants to see. Now we'll have to see if we get there. How about this Harrison Charlo press conference? I saw some of your tweets. I saw uh, some Instagram stuff. I mean... This is like, I feel like that PBC and the Fox, you know, they came across some some uh, gold here because, you know, Charlo can talk. We know that. Tony Harrison, I think, is probably right now pound for pound best trash talker in boxing. He'll say things that you don't even, like, expect coming. You're at that press conference. Things got pretty heated. Uh, what can, what'd you see there in L.A.? I love it. It's great. Anytime we have guys talking trash, I mean, they're fighting each other after all. I don't need to see the respect. I don't want to see fake trash talk, but these guys truly hate each other. They're right. both very proud guys. And I think the funniest remark was when Tony Harrison told Charlo, you know, I used to like you until I saw you crying after the fight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I guess that's a problem because we saw Julian um, Williams cry after the fight too, so I guess he's got a problem with that as well. Yeah, sure he does. So, Jermel, uh, I mean, I, I saw it. I was like, man, these guys, we want to hit him so bad right now. Like, you could just feel the vitriol in that in that room and, Tony Harrison's definitely a lot more confident going into the second fight. He always had a lot of promise coming up as a prospect, you know, a crock guy with Emmanuel Stewart, mm-hmm. never really lived up to it. But now we're seeing the boxing skills that he always had. And I'm anxious to see how much of a better fighter he can be with the confidence. Yeah, that'll be June 23rd on a Sunday night on Fox, which I think is going to do uh, big, big-time ratings. Another uh, fight on Fox that we saw announced on Saturday night, Manny Pacquiao, Keith Thurman, a fight that you reported on uh, a few months back, but finally officially announced. It was announced the date, but the location uh, wasn't officially announced on Fox, but it seems like you know where the location is going to be. Yeah, it's definitely going to be in Las Vegas, and I was told it's going to be at the MGM Grand's which is the same site that housed Pacquiao's fight with Adrian Broder in January. 
And I believe Pacquiao's fought at the MGM Grand like something like 15 times. Wow. So no surprise there. Has a great relationship. Always brings over a lot of the high rollers from uh, Asia and Japan and the Philippines. So, um, but it's a, it's a big. It, this is a big fight. I think it's the biggest fight of 2019, at least on the schedule. It's bigger than Canelo versus Danny Jacobs. Uh, you know, Pac- Pacquiao is still one of the biggest names in sports. Period. Even at age 40, Keith Thurman's a guy that's been a star in waiting for a long time. I can't wait for that one. I think it's going to do a big time pay per view number on Fox, especially the way Thurman talks. And we saw that Pacquiao was more willing to be himself with that promotion for the Broner fight. Yeah, you're right. I do agree with you on a number of the things you just brought up. I do think it would be huge. It's in the middle of the summer. There's no NBA playoffs to worry about. There's no NFL. It's just, you know, baseball, which is on every single night. So I do think that it would be big numbers. And you bring up Thurman, and we've had Thurman on the show, and he's like... Very like low key, been on network television for a really long time. He was, you know, the face of PBC when they started off on NBC. You know, he's fought on on, on uh, network TV, he's fought on HBO. He's literally fought on almost every single platform. Uh, he has the name recognition. You know, there are the, the people that don't like him for for certain reasons. You know, whether it was his absence or they don't think he's the top dog or he's ducking this guy or the other. And you throw in a legend uh, like Manny Pacquiao. I do think that fight uh, will deliver. Of course, it's also a 50-50 fight uh, as well. But I want to move on uh, to the, uh, what we're going to see this weekend. Deontay Wilder, Dominic Brazil, heavyweights. Um, everyone is expecting Deontay Wilder uh, to win this fight. I mean, that's not the, the safest thing to, to say because it's, it is boxing and anything can happen. But I want to look forward after this fight. Say Deontay Wilder wins, and we all know that Joshua fight's looming. We all know that the Fury fight is looming. What do you think Wilder's plan is for the next two to three fights? Will we see a Fury rematch, or will we go down the line of uh, an Adam Konacki or uh, another PBC heavyweight? So after Wilder was courted by both top rank and the zone, the PBC pretty much inked into a new three-fight agreement. And I'm not saying it's an official agreement, but they have a three-fight plan for him to fight. And it's going to be, as long as he gets past Brazil, as expected, he's going to fight Luis Ortiz for the end of the year, I'm told. Wow. And then the plan is for Wilder to fight Adam Kovnatsky in the spring of 2020. So those will be his next, that's his three-fight plan before we see him even approaching Joshua Fury fight. That is just so frustrating. Now, I mean, I mean, I understand the thinking there, but it's just I thought maybe you know Fury will, will jump in, maybe a December rematch, but that doesn't seem like the case. I mean, plans can always change. I mean, if, if maybe they blow Wilder away with an offer or something happens, who knows? But the plan right now is Ortiz and then Kovnatsky, and then after that, may hopefully we can see the PBC and either top rank or match room work together to put together one of those super fights. I mean, it, yeah, the fights are right there and that's long been boxing's problem. Right. The inability to put the fights together when we want to see them, right. not five years later. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing the same thing play out with Crawford and Spence. Yeah. We're all seeing the same thing play out. But what does that mean for, for Tyson Fury now? I feel like Anthony Joshua, they can find opponents for him. I mean, if he goes back to the UK, he can sell out Wembley, you know, he can fight uh, Usyk. I, and there's a theory out there that Usyk's going to jump right to, to, to uh, um, Joshua in the fall. What does this mean for Fury? He's the one that doesn't have seem to have dance partners over there with top rank. I could definitely see the winner of that July fight between Oscar Rivas and Dillian White getting that crack at Fury, yeah. especially if it's White as expected. Big-time fight in England. And it's, yeah, it's a big fight in the U.S. too. Not as big of a fight, but it's a, it's a really good matchup. White's been deserving of a title fight for a long time. 
and Fury doesn't hold any actual tangible titles, but he still is the lineal heavyweight champion. Yes. So, but outside of those guys, um, you know, I don't really know who else there is. This is a division really of there's three big names at the top. Fury, uh, White's the clear number four, and then after that, you have the guys like Ortiz and Kovnatsky and you know Andy Ruiz, Joseph Parker. So hopefully Fury gets his shot. We'll see what Top Rank's going to do. He has uh, he has his first U.S. Uh, fight with Top Rank next month. Yeah, we could see maybe Pulev. Pulev's a name if he figures out everything that happened with him and the whole kissing incident, <laughs> which is uh, <laughs> boxing in a nutshell. Uh, maybe he can potentially face Fury. But busy, busy times in the world of boxing. Mike Covinger, uh he's got you covered, dropping cop bombs. If you do trademark that, I want like a, I want a piece of that. <laughs> you got it. There it is, Mike Covinger. Thanks for joining us today, man. One of the busiest weekends of boxing just went down, and don't worry, you might have missed some news, but we got you covered. This is this week's, in case you missed it. Alexander Usyk, looks like uh, he will not be fighting May 25th, tore his bicep. This stinks for a number of reasons. Obviously, we wanted to see Alexander Usyk get back into that ring, especially in the heavyweight division, and take on Carlos Takam, but that's not going to happen. There's a theory floating around out there that he could potentially... Uh, not take a tune-up and go right to Anthony Joshua in the late summer, early fall. Sign me up for that because I think that fight is inevitable. I think they're on a crash course. Both fighters are with the zone. Both fighters are with matchroom. Can easily be made, as we know. Anthony Joshua is running out of dance partners at the current moment. Uh, everything that's going on in the world of boxing and, and the politics. But uh, Alexander Usyk will not be fighting May 25th. Uh, Devin Haney will now elevate into the main event, which is a great thing for Devin Haney because he's one of the best prospects in boxing. This fight moves from Maryland, goes over to Las Vegas, uh, which is the adopted hometown of Devin Haney. And Devin Haney is seems like he's the odd man out at, at, at lightweight, uh, and we'll touch on that in a second here with our next item here, Vasil Lomachenko, Luke Campbell ordered by the WBC. Some controversy around this one because... Pretty unusual for a belt holder to get a title shot in a different um, council. The WBC, Vasily Lomachenko, not uh, rated there. So he moves up and he's going to fight Luke Campbell, which doesn't really make a lot of sense. Uh, I know it has pissed off uh, Eddie Hearn because he feels like Devin Haney should have had that shot. But, I mean, look out there. Does it does it make sense for Lomachenko, who's one of the best pound-for-pound fighters in the world? He fights Luke Campbell. I think everyone wants to see Lomachenko pick up another belt. And what this does... If everything comes to plan, this is Top Rank's plan. Because right now, you see the Matchroom has a plan for Devin Haney to get a title. Top Rank certainly has a plan for Tiafimo and and Vasil Lomachenko. Another fight that seems like it's on a crash course. Because if Vasil Lomachenko wins this fight against Luke Campbell, he'll be the WBC champion to go along with his two other belts. Now, Tiafimo has a fight in July against the number two rated fighter in the IBF. He wins that fight. He's most likely going to fight Richard Comey in uh december or early to 2020 so then therefore you see what i'm, I'm getting at here Vasil lomachenko and tiafimo lopez will square off for all the belts a unification at 135 that'll be on espn pay-per-view that'll be a mega fight that's what it seems like is going on you're seeing some of this all start to come together uh moving on here in case you missed it canelo and jacobs tops out at 1.2 million viewers slash streams this is the new world we're living in with these streaming services and how you can ingest how many people actually watched it uh this was a report that we saw that 600,000 uh viewers in the u.s alone 
which is a, a pretty good number, I, I feel like, uh, in this new world of the streaming. But there was another report that was um, subsequent to what happened with Canelo Jacobs. That's the zone as a whole, because as we know, the zone is not just here in the U.S. The zone is, is is a global entity. It's worldwide. Like you know, they have rights to NFL games. They have rights to MLB. They have rights to all sorts of sports uh, in other countries than the U.S. But they are subs- uh, reporting that there were six million subscribers worldwide for the zone. That's a really really good number, which leads you to believe the six hundred thousand that tuned in in the U.S. alone. You have to feel like that is the the relative number of where DAZN is right now which with subscriptions. 600,000 is a pretty good number for DAZN considering they kicked off uh, earlier this year. Or, I'm sorry, in October of uh, 2018. So that's that's just how you can look at it right there. But this also, uh, another st- story from this report, was that DAZN revenue increased 136% from 2017 to 2018. Their debt dropped 93%. Listen, I'm not an economist, I uh, but I know that those numbers are good. When your revenue is up 136% and your debt drops 93% means that you're making a lot of money. So that $400 million investment that they just made in Canelo Alvarez and uh, Triple G, maybe a little drop in the bucket for the Perform Group and DAZN Worldwide. So good things. These are good things. I know that a lot of people out there root for the demise of the PBC or root for the demise of DAZN, which I don't quite understand. This is good for boxing. It's healthy. Finally, another thing that's good for boxing is uh, really good fights. And we're going to see a 50-50 fight come July 20th in what we think will be Las Vegas when Manny Pacquiao takes on uh, Keith Thurman. This fight has been long rumored and it was finally officially announced this past Saturday night on the PBC on Fox telecast. Uh, This is a weird thing to say, but they are unifying the WBA title. Uh, Yes, that's what the current WBA is at right now. They have a super champion. They have a regular champion. So the super champion is fighting the regular champion to figure out who is the real champion of the WBA. But all that nonsense aside, this is a great fight uh, on paper. It's a fight when you hear about a 50-50 fight. You know, Canelo and Jacobs, they said, what's a 50-50 fight, even though... I never bought into that. I knew that it was Canelo's fight to win. This is a legitimate 50-50 fight. You can make a case for either guy. You can make a case for Pacquiao because he's Manny Pacquiao and he's fought literally everyone, every single style, and he looked great against Broner. Uh, You can also make a case against Manny Pacquiao because he's 40 years old. Is he going to get old overnight? We hear that all the time. Is he going to not be able to take the athleticism of Keith Thurman? And it's a fight that... Either fighter can afford to lose. If Manny Pacquiao loses, this is probably the end of his career. And we've said that numerous times. But this is probably the end of the road uh, for Manny Pacquiao. He's probably, he's going on a fight-by-fight basis when it comes to his career. He's kind of taking he's taking whatever he can get at this point and, and moving forward. Keith Thurman loses. Probably the end of the road for Keith Thurman when it comes to title contention. Maybe he'll have to fight two more fights if he loses and, and get back into title contention. But a lot on the line in this fight and it, it sort of sets up this this tournament that we're seeing right now uh, with the PBC and the 147 pound division the winner of this fight will most likely fight Errol Spence Sean Porter winner which I think is going to be set for August 3rd at the Barclays Center I think that's the next big announcement uh, for Fox so great fight between Manny Pacquiao Keith Thurman, we're probably going to be there uh, in Las Vegas, going to bring a lot of interviews for you because that's going to be a big one. That's a, Whenever Manny Pacquiao steps into the ring, it's a major event. Step in there with a young, hungry, undefeated fighter who many think uh, is the uh, the main guy at 147 in Keith Thurman. Sign me up. So there is all your news and notes. This has been In Case You Missed It.
Our next interview on Inside Boxing Live is brought to you by Jack Doyle's Restaurant and Bar. Jack Doyle's Restaurant and Bar located just a few steps away from Madison Square Garden and Times Square. Go into Jack Doyle's for all your entertainment needs. From happy hours to birthday parties to private events, Jack Doyle's has you covered. Once again, that's Jack Doyle's Restaurant and Bar located on 240 West 35th Street. The boxing world is in mourning right now as we lost one of our icons in Harold Lenneman, easily the most distinguishable voice of an HBO broadcast and uh, a great guy as well. Talk to anybody, they'll say that Harold Lenneman is a mensch and he's a great, great ambassador for boxing. An integral part of bringing Harold Lenneman to HBO is our next guest here, of course, Ross Greenberg, former HBO sports president and uh, currently with uh, Ross Greenberg uh, Productions joins us right now. I really appreciate you coming on, Ross. I wish we were talking under better circumstances, but let's reflect right now on the life of uh, Mr. Harold Letterman. What an amazing life it was. I mean, uh, you go back to 1986, and I I decided that we needed a judge on our broadcast because I was sick and tired of listening to just announcers give their opinions as to who was winning a fight. And it just hit me that, you know, it would be an enhancement to the telecast and for the viewer, if we could just get the opinion and the understanding from a judge who would be hired by us to kind of give his point of view, uh, because ultimately it's the judges who decide fights, not announcers. So, so Harold was my first pick. I just, uh, I had seen his reputation as a judge and for some reason he stuck out. Um, you know, there were some prominent judges then back in Nevada, you know, guys like Chuck Giampi and Dave Moretti and others were prominent, but, but there was always Harold and Harold always seemed to have the right card and there were never any complaints about his card. And, uh, I met him and gave him a shot on HBO, uh, and the rest is history. <laughs> so no, no, um, no audition for Harold. Like, did None. did you know that he was like a character? Like, did he have a? Rep- I know he had a reputation no. of being a good judge, but did he? Did you know that he was this jovial, uh, you know, pharmacist that just would love to talk boxing and and could really articulate a fight? Did you know any of that going in? I had him come to my office, I think I remember. I first put a phone call into him, and then then he came in, I think. I can't really remember that meeting. But, uh, you know, those were the days when when you kind of tried things like CompuBox. And, <laughs> what were you thinking and, about that? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and you, you know, you gave it your best shot. Um, I remember going over with Harold many times, his role and how I saw it, which was to come in, you know, after third round, sixth round, ninth round and 11th round. And then obviously at the close of the fight um, to give his quick 20 second opinion. I remember the first few fights, he would overdo it a little bit and get into analyzing the boxing, mm-hmm. uh, which at those in those days it was Sugar Ray Leonard and then ultimately George Foreman. So I remember having to pull him back a little and telling him, no, Harold, I want you to speak like a judge would speak. You know, talk about the four criteria that you use to judge fights, ring generalship, effective punching, um, effective aggression, 
and defense and hone in on those things and talk about that so you can educate the public uh, from that perspective. And, and of course, he was also there when guys were hitting low and, you know, there were all kinds of fouls taking place and we needed someone to explain to us what was going on in the ring yeah, he at was, any given moment. He was great with the, the rules, too. I mean, uh, he, totally. I feel like he had that memorized. You know, like when you watch a baseball game and they do the express written consent and, like, I feel like Michael Kay yeah. or whoever you listen to can do that in their sleep. I feel like Harold Letterman can read those rules. No standing, uh, no standing eight guy. Jim, I, mean, I feel like he had that so down to pat that you can tell – that not only was this guy know his stuff and was a great judge, but he was like a really you know, rare talent. I know. It's funny because he had that from the beginning, the talent to communicate on television, which isn't always there. And that was the big surprise. He basically had a one-show audition because, you know, if he didn't have it, I would have pulled him. And, uh, but it was clear that he understood, you know, how to – communicate on television uh, succinctly and, and he had the character. Um, the one thing I didn't know he had was this kind of uh, almost cult infatuation from the American public, <laughs> which, which developed over time. Um, he became a celebrity and that was of his own making. And I think that surprised him because I don't think he realized he had the kind of uh, attachment to the American public or the charisma uh, on air that he actually did. And that, that was a pleasant surprise and a lot of fun to watch when we used to watch him giving out autographs and <laughs> selfies in lobbies of hotels. Right. You know, um, and I always used to kid him that he had a face made for radio. So you didn't get a chance to see him on camera as much. But uh, on the rare occasions you did, I know the public went wild. And I think that was part of the mystery that he wasn't on camera. Yes, you nailed um, it. And you, that, you know, and yeah. I think that was kind of fun. I didn't realize we were doing that by uh, by doing giving him that role either. Right, and I saw something I read. I've been reading a lot of stuff on, on Harold, uh, you know, some great stories out there. Tom How Thomas Hauser wrote that, you're right, that the thing what resonated with fans was that he was the everyman. You know, he was jovial. You know, he, he like you said, the like you teased him for the, the face for radio. But another thing is that you never saw him on camera. I think I, I read something that maybe he was on camera once in like yeah, 30 yeah. years. And what was that? How was he on camera for that? What was And what was that situation? I think it was, I don't remember the specifics, but I think it was probably a uh, rules issue. Mm. Something was going on where, you know, it was going to take a long time to figure out what was going on in the ring. And, and we just decided, I think Rick at the time was executive producer um, and possibly said, you know what, we got to get him on camera. Could it have been the fan man um, incident? It might have been. It might have. I, I don't know. I don't think it was. That was God. Was that hectic? <laughs> I mean, that I was, was pretty cut and dry. <laughs> I was in the in the truck at that time. That was more like a news event than, yeah. than, than a rules issue. Mm -hmm. um, so that you know, but but you know what? He was so trusted, uh, so good, so so on the money i mean the thing about harold when you look back at his cards if you went through every fight that he did on hbo you it would stun you to see how accurate he was you know when our announcers were a little off or when the judges were off but you as a viewer were watching it 
it seemed like his card was always right. Yeah. You know, even when the judges were wrong. Right. It was his eerie. His card always seemed to be right. It was eerie how um, how often his card would line up with the official uh, scorecards. Yeah, that that's true. I mean, that, and that's the sign of how good he was. Mm-hmm. Uh, but on those weird occasions when, you know, we had a, a fight that didn't look the way it was scored, Harold seemed to be the voice of reason. And it was nice to have that luxury because when an announcer says it, it just doesn't have the same impact as when a judge says it. So what was Harold's reaction when, obviously, he passed the first audition with Flying Colors and you told him, hey, listen, we're going to bring you on? What was his initial reaction? I mean, it was total joy. His whole (laughs) tenure at HBO was just complete and utter joy. I don't think he pinched himself every time he got on a plane and came to a fight um, because, you know, this was the sport that he loved. Uh, and lived and breathed and and he was able to you know be with you know uh, the band and the show that was Jim Lampley and George Foreman and Larry Merchant. He was sitting right next to him, wow. and I think he got a kick out of the fact that he was part of something really special, doing the biggest fights in the sports history uh, and being a vital part of the production. So uh, you know. He was ecstatic, his whole... I mean, he was living his dream. And you know what? He lived it for a long time. Right. Um, you know, and, and I know, you know, we haven't talked about Julie. I didn't know Iris very well, and Eileen, his wife, was a wonderful, dear person who was very, very shy. Um, but Julie, you know, her dad was everything. and uh, And that is something we got to get Julie through because it's going to be very hard for her. Um, and you know, she became as accomplished a judge as her father and he no one was prouder of that than Harold. Yeah, I, I agree. It's tough. You know, it's great to see someone follow in the footsteps and you know, I'm myself, I can, can kind of identify with Julie, you know, getting into boxing because, you know, my dad worked in boxing and so yeah, mm-hmm. it, it is, mm-hmm. it is tough, but it, you know, I know that, that Harold was definitely always proud of her and she uh, to this day is a, is a very uh, competent judge. And you bring up the fact that it was a band and I, it's funny you say that the HBO, cause I, th- I looked at it as like a, like a cast, like it's a movie cast. You got Buffer, you yeah. got Lampley, you got Foreman, you got Emmanuel Stewart at the time. You had whoever was, you know, in that broadcast booth and you also had Harold and I went back and listened to Lampley. He was on a podcast, a, a different podcast and he was talking about uh, the cast that was or the, the, the band that was the broadcast team at HBO. But he said no one was more beloved than Harold. No one no. was more deserving of friends and that goes back to him you know you're when you brought up with him you know signing autographs and he was just really really beloved yeah i mean he didn't have a mean streak in his body i mean you know ever he just was nice to everyone that approached him he always had a big smile on his face huge smile on his face during the entire conversation (laughs) you know um and would come in with a bombastic hello uh you know, into the room and he lit up, you know, everyone talks about how people light up a room. He didn't just light it up. He lit it up like Yankee stadium. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, would talk to everybody. I mean, there were times when you were cornered by Harold and he was going on for 20 minutes about a club fight in Topeka, Kansas, or, <laughs> you know, somewhere in the Midwest. And you were like, okay, Harold, I think we've talked enough about these two fighters that no one's ever 
heard of but you. Yeah. Um, let's go to the next subject. But, you know, but that was Harold. He was just too deep into his love for the game. And, uh, you know, it was, he's funny. He was very funny. I mean, the first, you know, year or so, I think Mark Payton and Bob Canobio and myself and others would gather around and say, okay, it's the night before the big fight. Um, how are we going to, you know, leave Harold from the production meeting and not have to listen about all these club fights <laughs> at dinner? That's amazing. Um, and we and we even kid Harold about it. Uh, he knew, but he was so funny. And then just the labor, you know, labor love for him and a and a love affair with all of us. Before we let you go, how does it feel for you? Um, I know you you've you've or an innovator, I mean, it's well-documented, whether, you know, 24-7, hard knocks, you know, putting sounds in the corners, becoming, uh, you know, integral part of bringing us on board at CompuBox in 1985. You will always go hand-in-hand hand with Harold being the guy that gave him a chance. Does that make extra special to you? I'm sure it does. Yeah, I thought about that um, the last couple of days. You know, it's a good feeling to know that you were able to launch someone into a career that uh, – that put him on such a iconic pedestal. Mm -hmm. He did it himself. I mean, I, you know, all I did was give him the opportunity. Um, but you know, he, to be the best, you know, everyone talks about, it doesn't matter what you do in life. It's being the best at what you do. And so he, it was the best judge that ever lived, got into the hall of fame because of it. Um, and then we turned him into this television judge uh, and he was the best that will ever do that. And I, I think that is a testament to his kind of ability. Uh, but also, you know, he did the rest because he built up this kind of cult following because he was such a great character. And he didn't even know he was that kind of character. Yeah, he was just but, being himself. You know, he just was himself. And he, you know, he did it his way himself and and became this iconic figure. So I take a lot of pride in giving him the launching pad, but he did it all. Really well said. Really well said. I really appreciate you coming on. I wish we could uh, talk under better circumstances, but, you know, like you yeah. said, Harold lives a great boxing life, and, uh, and I'd love to have you back on to talk about more uh, of your career. Absolutely. And, Ross, it was really yeah, great. Yeah, we'll talk, Go we'll ahead. talk about the launch of CompuBox. I know. I mean, that was it. That'll, that That'll take the two-hour podcast. That would, yeah, we have to just like you know just tear it down, go maybe four or five hours, <laughs> make it a make it a five-part series. You know, because little does everyone know out there, Ross, you right there. You're the guy that greenlit CompuBox, and I'm sitting in this chair today because of that decision that you made. So I am forever uh, thankful for you, Mr. Ross Greenberg. All right, and we'll talk about the cult following that Bob Canovio has as well, especially here on Long Island. Huge star. <laughs> Okay. Right, thank you, Ross. Thanks, I really Dan. appreciate you coming Thanks, on. We'll talk Dan. soon. That's a wrap for another edition of Inside Boxing Live. Special thanks to our guests, Mike Coppinger and Ross Greenberg. Greenberg shared some great stories about our beloved Harold Letterman. Back in 2015, we celebrated our 30-year anniversary of CompuBox with this video montage that featured some of our best friends and colleagues in the sport. Of course, Harold Letterman stole the show. We leave you with this. 30 years, 30 years, unbelievable. You've counted punches for bums, stiffs, stumble bums, turkeys, champions, world champions, stars, 
future stars, stars to be, stars in the making, mediocre fighters, good fighters, bad fighters, and all kinds of fighters. It's amazing what you've done in 30 years. You've made so many world champions, world champions. You gotta be proud of all the punches you counted. Your fingers probably hurt from all the fighters that you counted punches for. You've done a great job, Bob. We love you. We hope you'll be around for at least another 30 years. And congratulations once again. 30 years of copy box. That's amazing. Jim!